Indeed, to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you once again to join us here this morning, and we trust that you are here. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please sit. In Matthew's account of Jesus' crucifixion, he recounts several strange things that occurred during those crucial moments in which the full weight of the sin of the world bore down on Jesus' shoulders. He says that the earth shook, that rocks split, and that tombs broke open. Open. And then a very strange and totally underreported verse says that the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Uh, I want to hear more about that, please. Bible zombies. Uh, But the first thing that Matthew says happened right at the moment when Jesus gave up his spirit, is that the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So this morning, I want to say a couple of things about veils. A few weeks ago, I talked about a chair, and uh, this morning we're doing veils. Uh, We're going to start in Exodus 33, when Moses asks the Lord to show him his glory. And God agrees in order to give Moses some assurance that God is going to go with him as he attempts to lead the people of Israel, who the Lord has just called a stiff-necked people, he's going to be with Moses as Moses tries to lead them to the promised land. So in order to assure Moses of this, God agrees to show him his glory. There's a problem, though. Moses is sinful. God is holy. And so God tells Moses to go out and stand on a rock and says that he's going to pass by, but he warns Moses about his almighty power and glory. Here's what he says. This is beginning in verse 19 of Exodus 33. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, In your presence. Now here's where it gets scary. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For no one may see me and live. And if you know the story, you know that as God passes, he reaches out and covers Moses' face as he goes by and then just sort of lets him see a little part of his back. But God's warning stands. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. 
See, God knows what happens when unrighteous people come into contact with the holiness of a righteous God. They die. See, God has seen the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. He knows that when the Ark of the Covenant is opened and the holiness of God comes out, everyone's faces melt. This is what happens when sinners come into contact with the holiness of Almighty God. Destruction, right? Even the heroic Indiana Jones has to protect himself. Even he can't look. Even he has to close his eyes. So what does this say to us about our God? Is this what we have to do to approach him in terror? Eyes squeezed shut? Well, no. In our readings this morning, we're given a better way. In his second letter to the Corinthians, which we just read from, Paul talks about Moses. And he includes this interesting tidbit about Moses wearing a veil on his face. He says, since then, we have such a hope, we act with great boldness. Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to keep the people of Israel from gazing at the end of the glory that was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. Indeed, he says, to this very day, when they hear the reading of the Old Covenant, that same veil is still there. Now, before we get down to explaining what Paul is talking about exactly, it's important to note that he's alluding to Exodus 34, which comes right after Moses gets that warning that we just talked about in Exodus 33 about no one being able to see God and live. And I just want to read you just a short little section from Exodus 34, just seven verses. This is Moses coming down from Mount Sinai with the tablets of the law, the Ten Commandments. As he came down from the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hand, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face was shining and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke with him. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he gave them, in commandment, all that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord, before the commandments, to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. When he came out, he told the Israelites what he had been commanded, and the Israelites would see the face of Moses, that the skin of his face was shining. And Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went back in to speak with God. So this is simple, right? Moses has to wear a veil because of the glory of God that's sort of reflecting off of him because he's been with the law of God. When he goes into the commandments, he takes off the veil and gets his sort of shine regenerated. But when he goes out to the people, he's so shiny, so glowing with the reflected glory of God that he has to wear a veil so that people can even look at him. So there's this connection between being with God 
and being with God's law, these two tablets of the Ten Commandments. And this is the connection. The law is glorious. It's beautiful. It shines. Now, maybe that idea will take you by surprise, since we spend so much time at this church sort of uh, giving the law the thumbs down. We talk about grace and the gospel as overcoming the law. We talk about the law in negative-sounding terms like judgment and critique. And we all agree that legalism is a dirty word. And in light of all that, it's very easy to catch yourself thinking that the law is bad. But nothing could be further from the truth. The law is glorious. It It's beautiful. It shines. You see, the law is glorious because it is a reflection of God. The law is what God is like. Our God is one of a kind, creator of the world. So, of course, the law is to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Of course, the law is to have no other gods but him. There are no other gods. And our God is love. So, of course, the law is to honor your father and mother, to love your neighbor as yourself, to not covet or lie or murder. This is what the law is because this is who God is. The law isn't bad. It's good. It's glorious. As glorious as God himself. So, of course, when Moses asks to see God's glory, he's told he can't. No one can look at me and live. And of course Moses has to wear a veil after being with the law of God. And so of course, a veil hung in the temple between the Holy of Holies and the worshipers who stood outside. Sinful people needed protection from a holy God. The law, that reflection of the holiness of God, would destroy us. But not because we're good and it's bad. No, the law would destroy us because it's good and we're bad. The law, you see, isn't the problem. We are. So we need something to come between us. Right? We need something between us sinners and the law, the holiness of God. And for the people of Israel, it was a veil, a literal veil hanging in the temple. A veil that was still intact as Jesus was led up to the place of the skull. A veil that was still intact as the nails were pounded into him and the crown of thorns was set on his head. But Paul in our reading from Corinthians, says that now things have changed. Now, he says, we don't have to be afraid. We can act with great boldness towards God. And we can regard the holiness of God, he says, with unveiled faces. But how can this be? Aren't we still sinners How can it be that we who can barely hold our families 
together if our families even are still together? How can we, who try again and again and fail again and again to be the people we ought to be, the people we want to be, the fathers, sons, mothers, daughters, and friends we want to be, how is it that we can look upon a holy God without the fear that Moses had, without the fear that every temple worshiper would have had regarding that all-important veil, that all-important protection from the holiness of God. How can we, the unworthy, come before a holy God and not be destroyed? The answer is in Matthew 27, 50 and 51. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, and perhaps this is Matthew's allusion to Christ's cry of, it is finished. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. As we read the law, as we consider the holiness of God, we construct a veil to protect ourselves from it. The law is too good for us, too holy, and we know it. The standard is too high. It shines too brightly. We can't look at it. Its power is too destructive. We need something to shield us from it. Now, we don't hang a physical veil in the temple anymore, but we construct them just the same. Our veils take the form of doing better, working harder, and accomplishing more. See, God, we might whimper in fear. I'm really doing the best I can. Aren't I further along than last week? We're like young children looking up from the mess we've made and crying, please don't be mad, I'll do better next time. We hope our efforts might protect us. We work to build veils between us and God. Jesus died to tear those veils down forever. And now... Jesus stands in the place where that veil hung between sinful us and the holiness of God. Listen to the good news. It is on account of Christ, his goodness, not yours, his worthiness, not yours, his loveliness, not yours, his faithfulness, not yours, that you can approach a holy God and look upon him Not with fear, but with freedom. This is what Jesus accomplished for you. In him, God has brought you out of error and into truth, out of sin, into righteousness, out of death, into life. The separation between you and God, between sin and righteousness, is on account of Christ gone forever. The veil is torn in two. Jesus' death has ripped the veil away. He has borne the brunt 
of the law's destructive power. He hung there on the cross, both righteous man and almighty God, carrying the sins of the world. His goodness is given to you. And he has redeemed you before God. You need fear no more. By Christ, you are saved. And in Christ, you are free. Amen.